But one thing I did want to ask you, Charlie, there is how is grad school going, my guy? It's going, Palmer. I mean, so I'm only just taking one course, as you know. Um, and this course is really cool. It's just like it's like a intro to software engineering class. I'm also taking like a one credit hour uh, seminar, which is like a Java programming course, basically. Um, which I think is just nice to get. It's mostly mostly using it for Java practice because a I've never programmed in Java, and the class that I'm currently in is in Java, which sounds like how can you do that? I don't know. I think a lot of programming language is like the logic behind them are all the same. Like basically, uh, it's just a matter of syntax. And I think in like there might be like some quirks to every. There's quirks to every like language. Like some might have uh, more libraries that handle certain things. Or uh, in the case of Java versus like let's just say like more low level languages like C and C++, you don't have to worry about um, memory management. Like those, like the Java handles it for you through something called like garbage collector. So you don't have to like track memory on the heap or which is what you do have to do um, on C++. And if you don't, your program's going to crash your computer. I did that during my NYU course last year when I was programming like some 2D um, like survivor like simulation I definitely was having memory leakage issues and crashed my laptop. <laughs> um, so, always good. Uh, but the class is good so far. Unfortunately, there is a group project, uh, which is never fun. I don't know why uh, schools or classes tend to like have group projects. Um, uh, this one has us designing like an app. We already know what the app is, and I actually meet with my group tomorrow. I really wanted to meet with them on Monday, but um, a couple of them couldn't, so we decided to meet uh, tomorrow. Um, but yeah, oh, I already know what the app is, and luckily it's not like super complicated, at least from what it sounds like. It's kind of like a just it's like a one or two interfaces. I don't know. We'll see. But it's a group project. Um, I'm hoping that it's not terrible and I hope my group is good. Everyone seems like they're active, like they're talking and all that. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, but not just look, I'm not really looking forward to doing like a group project. Um, but it always uh, brings out the best or worst in people. Group yeah. Projects, I swear. Yeah. Especially since like, if some of these people like are taking another class, you know, they might not give this their full attention. Um, and which is another thing I'm realizing. I don't think I'm ever going to take two classes at once, uh, mostly because the class I'm taking right now isn't like the most workload, really. It's it's not that crazy. Um, like some of the assignments have taken me a little longer than probably like doing the lectures during the week, uh, which I think is probably more typical than it isn't. Like, I feel like more often than not, like the assignments and like the projects you do in these classes are going to be the where the bulk of your time is and not necessarily like lectures, maybe some classes that are like more reading intensive. Um, but I realized if I was like taking another class with this exact same workload, I think I'd be kind of like that'd be probably that would get to a point where it's a lot. And like it'd be hard okay. to, awesome. I think, focus on either class and do well in like both. Where even though like it might be like the NYU course that I did last year was definitely way more work than this class, um, because that was like a combination of like three or four classes kind of going on at once. But like at the same time, it was um, all that work kind of like interconnected, and you were always like tested on all that material kind of at once versus like where this is just like you know you might have a, an exam one in one class one day and in a completely an unrelated class of an exam the next day you know like Ooh. it just wouldn't be i don't think i'd be able to do that very well and i've been reading a lot of like on their like the reddit like subreddit that um this uh, program has and pretty much everyone is like like Someone asked recently, oh, how long is everyone taking? And there are definitely people who are like, I'm trying to speed through this. Like, I'm, I'm going to be done in like two and a half years, like taking two classes a semester, one class every summer. And, and like, I'm going to get out of here in like two years. And a lot of people, and I would say probably the vast majority of people are like, I'm taking my time. I only take one class a semester. 
okay so and like a lot of people were even like suggesting like yeah i feel like if you want to really absorb a a class here then take one because when you take two you're never going to be able to fully and you know get into uh any any either of those classes and i also don't have like a traditional computer science background i think i would be very ambitious to try to take on two classes like true grad level classes when i don't have like industry experience or like a like an actual like four years of undergrad cs degree kind of thing so um i don't want to like be in a situation where i have to like i don't know how to do this particular thing and now i have to spend an extra 10 hours on this one course to catch up to try to remember like to try to figure out how you do this particular thing uh, I don't want that to ever happen. So I'm probably going to like take classes like even over the summer, definitely like try to like lean towards like the lighter ones. I've been doing a lot of research on like which classes are really heavy workload versus like medium workload versus like lighter workloads. And I'm just going to try to aim that my summers are going to be like the lighter workloads because they're um, four weeks less than your typical semester so they're going to be a little bit more accelerated um so yeah that's the plan Play right again, buddy yeah there you go there it's you a go. marathon and not a sprint this program is going to take long regardless if i even if i did like two courses a semester um like how long is it supposed to like so they say on average it takes people like three years on average okay. um and most people this was the question that someone asked like how long is it taking people most people said three to four years is how long it took most people um so there's definitely some people who are like five years and like um i don't want to be <laughs> five years of doing school i'd be tired um yeah i um like just depending on like really how I'm like I'm gonna be feeling. Like I think this summer I might take a class. Like there's a class I was looking at that's like AI ethics and society, which is like I've heard kind of on the lighter side, does some programming, does some reading, does some like research paper and like writing kind of stuff. Um kind of like a combination of everything, but it's like light on, on that end. And I might just take it over the summer just because it is a class I'm like interested in. And um yeah, so I might take it over the summer if it's offered. Not every class is offered over the summer, but I feel like that one might be. Um, so uh, just take that maybe over the summer. I think it's it's on the like the lighter side. Uh, I think it actually on the list of classes I'm interested in might be the lightest um, from the workloads from like the reviews. So I might just take it uh, over the summer just no, to kind of like out. yeah knock it out and then uh, the program for real for yeah and then maybe take a, a you know a class I'm dreading in the fall. So <laughs> go from the good to the bad. Okay. Yeah, okay. just you know hit me with it. You know, whirlwind. I'll take that shot now. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing horror stories about the operating systems class I have to take. So I just feel like universally from everybody I've ever known who's programmed, that's the one, man. So be strong. I like operating systems topics. I mean, we NYU covered it for like the fourth quarter a little bit <clears throat> of that class. They covered a um, some introductory like operating systems concepts. I thought it was interesting. Um, but I know that we didn't really do any programming. It, it really stood on like the theoretical side. And I know that the operating systems class here is going to do both. Like, you're going to be programming plus uh, the, the the theory side. I think I'll probably do well with the theory. Um, the programming I've heard, though, is quite hard. And I'm scared. So. Okay, okay. Well, hey, you know what? Use yourself into yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not taking that class within, school. like, so if you don't know, Georgia Tech actually requires you to get two Bs in a class within the first year in order to stay in the program. Um, oh, jeez. So I won't take that class if I somehow don't get a B in, like, my current class or the one over the one I take over the semester. I won't be taking that in the fall, that's for sure. Like, I'm going to try to get the... Um, fully in as they say before uh before taking that operating systems class <laughs> it's like now you're in it all right <laughs> screw around do what you gotta do screw around okay. and you okay. know you know cry as you're not gonna have a f- moment of free time because the first project apparently takes 100 hours to complete and 
you only have a month to do it. Nope. I'm okay. Thank you, though. I like life. I like yeah, life. I like life. Doing happy things. I'm, and then after that, I'll in the spring, I'll probably take something lighter. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That's that's you earned that. You earned that. Take something lighter and just kind of like relax for a little bit. Um, but yeah. <laughs> recover, recover, if you will. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when I take the oh, operating man. systems class, I cannot make any weekend plans for like the entirety of that semester. That I genuinely just felt in my soul. So <laughs> apologies to you in advance, Charlie. Goodness, goodness. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be a good time. I think it will be a good. I mean, it won't be. I think in the moment I'm going to be like, I hate this so much. But I'm going to probably come out of it fine. Yeah, definitely. De- um, that means that we'll have to stockpile a couple of uh, <laughs> full podcast episodes yeah. while you're, uh, having your fun there. While I'm in prison. You're two different Charlie's people. Exactly. You're going to hear Charlie who's free and then Charlie after enduring <laughs> something terrible. So <laughs> that should be exciting. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I guess. Yeah, with that, you want to kind of kick it in? Let's bring it in 2024, people. This is the very first one. And with that, Happy New Year, and welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between, although we mainly talk movies. I'm Jordan Palmer, joined, as always, by Mr. Grad School himself, <laughs> Charlie Buck. And today, <laughs> and today we're dishing about Poor Things, the new movie, or now it's a new movie, from the diabolical mind of Yorgos Lanthimos. In trying to find a way to describe this movie exactly, I fear I can't quite do it justice, Charlie, and there will be spoilers ahead. And we'll warn you about those ahead of time. So, Charlie, this movie is an all-star cast and explores the nuances of understanding the world around us. The name is an interesting point of discussion. Poor things. So, to kick us off, I want to know why you think that was the title given to it. For the first time in 2024, Charlie, what you got? Well, Palmer, I do know that Poor Things is based on a book by a similar mm, okay. name. Um, I would have to imagine that the title um, deals with, uh, like, so I th- always kind of think that the the title has to deal with, like, the experiences of... I never really thought about why the title is Poor Things, but I do. I'm kind of trying to relate it to um, the themes of the movie, uh, which you know um, deals a lot with like liberation and even like uh, equality, uh, you know, to an extent. I mean, I mean, I actually do think that's kind of a larger theme in the movie, especially in the third act um, mm-hmm. of the film. Um, and so like, I would have to say like poor things is maybe like, or the title of it, uh, might relate to like, um, well, he asked me the question. (laughs) Profound. It's so profound. It's a uh... profound question. I mean, I we're kicking off 2020. Yeah, it's a right profound way, question. Right? It's a t- it's a tough question. Um, I don't know. I think we'd have to probably relate to somehow of like the the circumstances of which um, Emma Stone's character is kind of like found in. And I don't want to like jump into like too many like spoilers as to um, as to why that is the case, but or like what her situation is because I, I, it relates a lot to what we learn like the third act of the movie and like the way that she's like recognized and kind of like, um, uh, who her character like is. And, um, I think in a way it's kind of like a, like a metaphor for, um, that circumstances and like the outcome that she actually lives through her life compared to the one that she could have lived. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, why do you, um, what are, what are your thoughts on the title of Poor Things? Okay. As the question asker, I've had a little bit of time to ponder this one. <laughs> and it's weird. I had to really take a step back and kind of look at it. Because from a literal sense, obviously, you could have, like, mm-hmm. Poor Things just in terms of, like, 
I don't know, things that aren't as good of quality. I was thinking kind of more like a glass half full, glass half empty kind of deal. Yeah. So you, you alluded a little bit to um, Emma Stone. I guess her name is Bella Baxter in the movie's backstory, which I won't discuss now. But just thinking about that, someone who was looking from the outside, you'd be like, oh, that's so sad. Like, look at her. She's struggling to kind of make sense of the world. And, you know, she has to overcome a lot of challenges in doing that. But it's kind of like you look at it as possibly like a, a glass half full. Like she has an opportunity to obviously, yeah, go through some of these, you know, trial, trials and uh, ultimately come on the other side. And I think that by the end of the movie, like the perspective around many different characters, different situations is has changed and evolved. And honestly, it's it's better. So it's not necessarily a matter of looking at something for where it is at a certain point in time. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like appreciating where it's going to be ultimately. So. For me, when you see poor things, it's kind of like, I don't know, just imagine like, I don't even know, like this is a terrible analogy, but like a puppy that has like a little, little lame paw and someone's walking by and says, oh, like poor thing. But like, ultimately the dog is able to like overcome that as like a grown dog. And like, it's it's like, no, it wasn't. It's just, it was unfortunate, but you know, it was able to come out on the other side. So yeah, it's not about like the start, it's about kind of the, the journey and the triumph. I think that's, that's really thoughtful and like bouncing uh, upon that, um, I think to kind of like reiterate what you were saying, like it's kind of from an outsider looking in, you might see Emma Stone's character, especially towards the beginning of the movie, as like someone who is helpless. Um, but it's because you don't really necessarily have the context, like you know, Rami Youssef thinks, um, or Rami Youssef's character thinks that like you know she's mentally disabled or you know something along those lines. And as he learns like kind of the truth of her existence, um, has a different appreciation of uh, Bella Baxter, uh, Bella Baxter's character, <clears throat> and um, so yeah, I think that is a very apt analysis of kind of like the outsider looking in, like kind of just looking. And if you don't really know the context of the situation, you just might be like, that's a poor, poor thing, you know, just to be in that kind of situation, be all grown up and, um, you know, that's your life kind of thing. But yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. 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 And people, we're going to kind of start initiating some uh, Mm -hmm. some new things when it comes to the podcast and the overall structure. So Charlie, I want you to give me five or you have up to five stars to choose from these various topics. And you can go into a little bit of detail when we uh, get there. So uh, just kind of point number one, character development out of five. What are you given poor things? Character development. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I, I would give it close to a five, maybe like a four, four and a half out of five. Like, so for that, I think the best character development um, I think obviously happens with Emma Stone's character. I mean, the movie is so focused on her, like the growth of her character and it's almost, it is practically a theme of it. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I do think there are a lot of great characters, whether or not like they develop. Cause I don't think Mark Ruffalo's character really develops in any particular way. He's just kind of a sleaze ball, like the entire time throughout the yeah. entire movie. Um, and then like William Defoe's character is, uh, um, Someone who, like, I don't really know necessarily, like, develops so much on, like, screen, but, like, his backstory seems to have a lot of development, and, like, you kind of, um, uh, you see how his attitude, like, changes, uh, especially when you, um, put that against how Bella character, Bella's character changes in, like, the beginning of the movie, where, like, you know, uh, William Defoe's character, or Godwin, ending is his, is his name, doesn't let um, Bella out of the house at all, and then, like, as she's kind of maturing, um, she wants a little bit more of, like, freedom, a little bit more, like, liberation into, like, explore new things, and I definitely want to talk about, like, the cinematography in this movie because i do think that does play a like narrative uh component to like the from like the perspective of like bella um so like his character becomes less of like a a scientist uh like being like almost like frankenstein and more towards like a paternal figure um yeah so what about you palmer what would you give it Okay, I'd give it probably like a 3.5 or a 4 as well. The only reason for that is, to your point, and obviously this is mainly driven by Emma Stone's character, Bella Baxter, 
But at the same time, I kind of like felt like some of the other characters just fell to the wayside, and I would have liked to just get a little bit more, especially when you're thinking about like a Willem Dafoe as Godwin Baxter, because we got like bits and pieces of kind of what his his backstory was. But it and he did evolve, he did evolve. But I just kind of either would have liked to see that more, or have mm-hmm. liked to have seen the incorporation, maybe some of the other just auxiliary characters on the sides that kind of would help to enhance. Because we'll talk a little bit about about it later. later. But um, oh my gosh, what is comedian Gerard Carmichael was yeah. in the movie? Yes. and uh, just like he was kind of like random, but like his like I would have loved to see either him. Or yeah, him I would have liked to seen more out of him because I felt like his character was here and then gone. You know, like um, yes, I felt like yes. his, he was there to like serve, like uh, uh, almost like he he um, basically was like showing Emma Stone's character a little bit more about the world and like the harsh, cruel realities that exist in it. And, you know, and as she comes to that realization, like he's, his character just like disappears and like, there's not really there anymore to like, um, have that more of a, a firm resolution to that, like arc in her journey. And it would have been nice to see that. And I would agree that the auxiliary characters don't have as much development, um, as this, this story is so heavily, heavily focused on Emma Stone's character. Definitely. Definitely. And so with that novelty of the plot, Charlie, out of five, how many? Novelty of the plot, uh, the freshness of the plot. The, uh, I thought. It, I mean, like it is based on a book, so like, um, I guess I could say it, it's definitely gives off like Frankenstein, like you know, vibes. But it's um, certainly weird. But I would expect literally nothing less from Yorgos <laughs> Lanthimos. Um, but I. I don't know. I, I really liked it. I, I I thought the plot was um, original in the sense that, like, yes, I know it's it's based off a book, but like, you know, taking the plot as a whole, I thought it was really original, really unique. It was kind of like a twist on like infanti- infantilism words. Yes. Um, and um, it was and it was really darkly funny and. Uh, I mean, I don't know like how much of that humor is in the book. I obviously haven't, I haven't read the book. It'd be fun to read. I know it's a little old now. I think the book came out like the fifties. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I don't, well, well, I give it out of five, maybe like a four, four and a half. Okay. Okay. I, I think I'm kind of in the same boat there too. Um, yeah, no, I just thought that, I mean, I always love a fresh perspective kind of story. Yeah. And so just seeing this all kind of unfold and it was it, like, it's, it's weird because, and we'll go into more of the details when we get to the plot, but just like seeing the world through like a child's eyes, but then rapidly like maturing to an adult, mm-hmm. but you're also kind of an adult during that But And also interestingly enough, kind of like going back to um, what you were saying earlier about like how the title is like how the outsiders looking in a lot of people treat her like an adult like you know mark ruffalo's character immediately comes in and treats her like an adult yeah <laughs> oh he treats her all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so that was uh <laughs> we will get there <laughs> oh man all right pacing what'd you think um yeah for a two and a half hour movie it didn't really feel like two and a half hours i thought it was pretty well paced um I'm trying to think of like all the moments in the movie uh mm, yeah i mean i feel like it was pretty well pl- i felt like there were three solidly defined acts in the film um like maybe the ending was a little dragged a little but uh, i thought overall it was pretty good another like four four and a half for me on the pacing um, I thought the first act was paced well. The second act was paced well. In fact, I probably would have liked to see more of like some of the cider, uh, auxiliary characters, as you mentioned. Um, so it even seems like they were cut for time, if I had to guess. <laughs> um, and yeah, the third act was a was a strong conclusion, I'd say. Um, what about you? Okay. Uh, for this, I'd have to give it a three. This is probably my only point of contention with the movie. Okay. I loved it up till I guess the act in Alexandria, just because I knew like obviously you needed something in there to start the ball rolling in terms of just the maturation process for Bella. 
But the final, like the movie just felt like it went maybe like 15 minutes too long. Like that final act, I don't know if it was necessary, but I mean, obviously you added in a new character mm-hmm. and you got a chance to get a little bit more backstory on your, your protagonist there. But just like, yeah. I would have liked to see that more organically interwoven within the overarching story, just because it kind of felt like it was so random. Like once again, you're being introduced to a, a new character, like out of kind of nowhere, right by like right near the end. Yeah, but I would agree that, that I like, I felt like it was a necessary point. Cause like, that was the only reason I was like struggling to like say from <clears throat> like, Oh, that, that third act like dragged a little just cause I felt like it was a necessary point in the story to have that new character be introduced, but it did feel like it was lo- like a little long in that part. Yeah. Um, even though I felt like it was maybe only like 20 minutes of the movie. <clears throat> um, sorry, my voice, um, 20, 30 minutes of the movie, but yeah, I definitely think that part was like, uh, we could have maybe done without, but I get why they had to do it. I get why that part was in. No, it. Yeah. I totally understand why they needed to bring that into like, it made sense. It made sense. So that's why I can't have like too many clips about it. Um, and then I guess just like, so in terms of the villain and or the challenge to be overcome, A, what would you say it is? And then B, how would you rate it? The villain and the challenge to overcome. Um, hmm. The villain. So I don't know. I don't know if there is like a, like a, like an actual like antagonist, like villain of the story. Huh? Like, oh, I guess Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, I guess Mark Ruffalo. But like, he's not to me. He's just like a, he, um, a sleaze bag. Like, uh, uh, what? He's a lawyer, um, and yeah. a guy who is very much from like, I mean, he's a man of his time. But like at the same time, this is a movie that is kind of that fights against like the um the societal norms, I suppose um there's a lot like i mean a big theme of this movie is mentioned is like liberation and equality and like uh and like bella's character is almost kind of paving that path um because you know we can talk more when we get to the plot about like you know the infantilism of like being flipped on its head because i do think that serves like uh a huge driving force to like why the movie is so you know like lean so heavily into like liberation but um so i I guess you could say mark ruffalo's character because he does kind of come back in like randomly in the the third act to like provide the last like final challenge that like bella has to like go through um and he is uh, like constantly on the opposite end of like all of her like decisions that like kind of she makes for um herself and um belittles her in a lot of different ways so um i don't know if i can give that like a rating necessarily because i mean how do you rate that i I mean i think mark ruffalo's performance was really excellent um he was fantastic as what is his character's name again um that guy That dude, that guy. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm gonna look it up because it's bothering me. Um, (laughs) That was crazy. I couldn't even tell you. (laughs) Uh, Duncan Wedderburn. Duncan Wedderburn. Um, I just call him Mark Ruffalo in pretty much everything he's in. Yeah, I mean, he was so great. It was such a different role for him, which is what I I was like. I really appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited. We'll save that one. But dialogue, what did you think? The dialogue? Oh, the dialogue was yeah. the best. I mean, it was it was hilarious. Like I mean yeah. some of the, the, the scenes when like they're in Lisbon and um like they're eating dinner and like she doesn't know table manners, so like she just spits out food. Um and um <laughs> like like Mark Ruffalo's like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing here? And she's like, why would I keep it in my mouth if it is revolting? <laughs> it's like, or like, I'm going to go punch that baby now. Like some of those like really great lines. And um, yeah, there's a lot of other like really hilarious movie moments, but that one uh, stands out. 
yep, yep. I, yeah I, I think the dialogue was superb um mm-hmm. i feel like after that line she said like why would i keep it in my mouth and like i want to spit out and like the woman across the table made like a joke and i was like oh that was <laughs> that was clever that was clever but no just like i loved the back and forth i love how like they really broke up like never really too many moments of quote-unquote tension mm-hmm. but like they broke it up with just kind of some some comedy in there so i can totally appreciate that and i really think it helped to just drive the plot forward as a whole so i'd give that a five yeah yeah it was definitely one of the better uh, parts absolutely absolutely and then final question the setting what are we thinking the setting i guess there were many settings yeah there were like several i did this a five kind of a fantastic time i would straight up you give the settings a five i think from a set design perspective, this is like one of the most like stunning films I think I've ever seen. And I can see why it's nominated for like best set design. And I do think it has a pretty great shot at winning it. Um, because I mean, like I think Brown even said this, that like every frame is like a painting. It, it was mm-hmm. like truly even like dreamlike. And I do want to talk about like the cinematography, um and like how they court how it kind of like changed through every act and uh but yeah it was incredible uh, i'd say i don't know about you so a, a strong five for me <laughs> i i would agree too because i just love the transition from black and white mm-hmm. to color and it made the color just like pop that much more because you're being seen like this like grayscale to all of a sudden mm-hmm. these these vibrant just like you know blues and yellows and pinks and just some of the like when they're on the boat when they're watching like they got the sky in portugal like it's mm-hmm. incredible so i would definitely agree with you and give it a five yeah and so with that i guess you want to throw on the uh old spoiler warning uh warning <laughs> yeah we can throw on the old spoiler warning war- oh well should we give like a quick little like review of like kind of i mean i know we just did that but would you recommend this movie, Palmer? Would you recommend people seeing it before we jump into spoilers? Okay, I would. I would recommend it. I would recommend it. It's uh, it's a little out there. It's a little zany. So prepare yourself for that. There is some sexual content. So also prepare yourself. Uh, some, some, well, some, <laughs> some, just some, just some. But uh, <laughs> no, outside of that, like I said, it was it was a fun watch. It was a fun watch, and you'll have some lines, and you'll leave the theater thinking about different things. So I think that's kind of the telltale sign of a good flick. Yeah, I would also recommend it. I think this might be my favorite uh, Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Um, and right now, out of the films I've seen for Best Picture for the Oscars, this is my Best Picture winner. Um, so I still need to see Oppenheimer. I know you Nolan people, um, because uh, I know that's been nominated for like the most awards or whatever. But and it also won the Globe for uh, best drama. Poor things did win best comedy, um, which I, the Golden Globe breaks those out to two categories. But uh, so exactly. I, th- those those seem to me like to be the big front runners for best picture right now. Um, but I would have to give it to Poor Things um, so far. Uh, I mean, I like Yorgos Lanthimos' films. I, I mean, I know he's a weird guy, like a weird direct, like his movies are weird. Um, like from the, uh, from Dogtooth to the lobster. Um, those are strange, <laughs> strange favorite. movies. Uh, the favorite isn't as strange. Dance sequences. Yeah. He does love bizarre dance sequences. <laughs> he also, uh, really likes, um, uh, he likes back of the head shots. Like he loves doing like, I know someone pointed that out in like a, a film analysis, like of all of his movies is that he loves like these weird, like dead, like flat shots of like the back of people's heads when they're like talking to another like person, like it'll focus on like the back of their head rather than like over the shoulders, the shots and stuff like that. So I've never noticed that, but now I'm going to like look for it. Yeah. He also does a lot of like a lot of his movie angles and he likes to do really like dead angles too. Um, I didn't know that one. Um, so yeah, he's he's interesting, and his movies are strange. <laughs> I would he's definitely oh, a director. I would like if you haven't seen like any of those other movies, like absolutely go watch them all. Um, you can probably, I mean, Dogtooth is by far the weirdest and quite graphic. So maybe save that one for like however you rate when when you want to see a graphic movie. Just like put that <laughs> whatever wherever you want to put that. So. <laughs> 
sitting around on a Saturday afternoon. I want to see a graphic movie. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pulls it out. Um, right. You heard it here first, folks. But Dogtooth is so weird. Um, yeah. Shall we get into it? Spoiler warning. Okay, quick little... Yeah, spoiler warning and some full effect, people. Quick little background and synopsis. For all of you who have not seen it and just want to keep listening, even though I highly recommend going out. So basically, this movie starts off uh, with a young man by the name of Max McCandles, who becomes the assistant to an eccentric surgeon by the name of Godwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. Now, Godwin is overseeing the care of this young woman named Bella, who seems a little off, and one would conclude that she's not necessarily all the way there, but what we find out is that essentially she was a pregnant woman who leapt to her death, died, and this gentleman, Godwin, replaced her brain with the brain of the baby. And thus, over a period of time, she starts to mature, starts to see the world, kind of get a better understanding of who she was and her place within it. And ultimately, she runs into one Duncan Wedderburn, who is played by Mark Ruffalo. Now, Wedderburn becomes kind of infatuated with her and ends up corralling her into joining him on a trip to Lisbon, where they, uh, as the movie says, furiously jump each other, if you understand <laughs> what I am saying. <laughs> And so as she's in the process of doing this, Bella starts to continue to expand kind of her understanding. And she wants more. She wants to understand things. So she starts taking up philosophy when um, she's sequestered to this boat by Duncan, who's trying to basically cut her off from everything and stunt her own personal growth. And so ultimately, one of her companions, played by Gerard Carmichael, uh, in a trip to Alexandria while on the boat, shows her just kind of the misfortune of the world, which opens her eyes and uh, she is forever changed. She then takes some of the winnings that uh, Duncan has from a crazy night at the casino, gives them away, which ultimately turns out to be all of their cash, and they are stranded in, I believe it was, Paris, France. Now, during that time, in order to make money, Bella joins brothel, which Duncan is not enthused by. He actually says he's going to leave her, but we later find out he's basically trying to, to save her and to, to get her out of there. But no, she's just kind of using sex as a means of getting to know people, kind of understanding the, the world's still there. And so ultimately she's informed that Godwin is terminally ill and requested to come back to her home. And she does, where she reconnects with Max. She agrees to marry him, which had actually originally been Part of the the deal before she left he had proposed to her and she'd accept it and while they're getting married uh bella's former husband so from her past life in which she was known as victoria re-enters the picture that was the person that charlie and i were alluding to in the final act and he basically requests that she returns to her old life and she does um during which time she realizes that this man her husband is kind of insane and he's kind of sadistic <laughs> and so what his plan is he realizes that she's rebelling and he tries to cut her off at the knees and by that he wants to subject her to a surgical procedure in which her genitals are mutilated and she is unable to derive i guess pleasure from from sexual activity but during that time she's able to throw a sedative in his face knock him out and returns home uh, in time to be by uh, her adoptive father's side when he dies and ultimately what they do is they take her husband's brain out and replace it with a goat and that is where the movie ends now charlie that was uh that was a lot was that a lot. was a lot and i guess there's some some questions that we just got to kind of dive into so first and foremost what was the best moment of the film or said another way if you could only show someone one scene what scene would you offer? Um, so for me, I think the scenes in Lisbon, I think, are probably where I would maybe show like people like this movie, just because I think it's 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 hard to pick like a, a specific moment, but um, I mean, Lisbon, I think, is like a really big jumping off point for uh, like the film. Um, it's when the colors start to really like explode and like you're uh, in these like dreamlike worlds almost. Um, and it's also like kind of the moment where Bella is maturing the most. It's like where she kind of like goes from like really ch like childishly naive, which, you know, makes sense. Um, <laughs> and to kind of experiencing the world and it's like seeing the world through her eyes for like the first time. And like, 
uh, so now I, I do want to talk, like, touch on the cinematography. It's just like, yeah, as we talked cool. about in the first act, like, it's all in like black and white. Um, it's like grayscale. Uh, it's mostly within the house. You know, it's nothing like out of the ordinary. It's familiar. Um, and then once you move into the second act of the movie, which is like, I would definitely say is the beginning of the Lisbon, uh, like scenes. Um, it becomes like a, bursts out into color and not to mention like i do think that the colors are almost like to a point where they're blown out like it's it, they like kind of seem hazy and then the world is like and then they're in like portugal and like it's dreamlike there's like these flying rail cars like going everywhere it's like cotton candy skies so much color and like to the and like and that continues through like this kind of um, I'm going to call it like the sexual liberation phase of yeah. the movie um, because I think that is like a large theme for this act and, and also act three as well. Um, but uh, the um, second act of the film, like when they're going through like Alexandria, that's also it's like has like all this orange and like haziness. And like when they are on the boat, like the water seems like it's like a drawing and like the clouds as well it's just like really really like um like beautiful it's like it's just incredible to like just kind of you freeze it you know screen grab that and put it on a wall kind of thing um and uh so yeah i would definitely show people like part two just or the like the lisbon scenes just because i think that does represent a lot of what the film is kind of like about from a thematic standpoint and also has a lot of like funny moments and interactions between uh mark ruffalo and emma stone's character um and then yeah so that's that's what i would do what about what about you palmer where would you I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I love this scene where she's just kind of walking out for the first time. And also in thinking about the colors, not only for like the setting, but just like, I mean, I'm not even really wondering if somebody's like really into this, but just the costume design because they contrast it like the super black of her hair with just like some of her dresses, which were yeah. a elaborate, but B just like the colors were crazy cool. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciated that. But the walk kind of symbolized to me, just like the kind of like continuing with her awakening. And that was truly the first time she was really out on her own kind of exploring things so before she'd yeah. been with you know Willem Dafoe Max and then she was with Duncan after that so she was just getting and then getting a chance to see it and when she, she goes got for a walk yeah was like, exactly and he was like well, where were you like, yeah was Duncan on? was like where were you yeah yeah I was like okay, he was mad man like, where is she <laughs> yeah <laughs> so and I, he starts I to get like jealous and controlling of, which uh yeah and it's and you wish that she knew what that really like meant, but unfortunately she has no kind of frame of reference. Like this is not a quality human being you should be spending your time with. So she just kind of goes with it, which is fortunately what some people do in the real world. But uh, yeah, no, dude, it's very good, very very good. Mm -hmm. Um, and then okay, what was the worst moment of the your least favorite moment of the film if you had one? I don't know. That's that's like tough. I guess like the scenes with um. Like, I guess her, like when she was a Victoria, her husband, like, I don't know. It just, as we mentioned earlier, just kind of felt like necessary, but also just kind of, uh, where it dragged a little bit. And at that point I was just like, okay, we can like wrap this up now. <laughs> Where's this going? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess that part, um, but I do think it was a big growing moment for her, despite it not really being like the strongest point of the movie. Yep. And dude, when he like was in the, they were in the carriage and mm -hmm. he said, yeah, I keep a gun on me at all times. Cause I'm pretty sure the staff are going to like revolt. I thought he was kidding, <laughs> <laughs> but he was dead serious. <laughs> Kept that gun on him at all times. I was like, why would you work in an environment when a man just points a gun at you randomly when you just like, wants to make a point. That was <clears throat> crazy. The pores have no choice. But... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, the pores. Exactly. The pores. Ah. But I would say for me, and it's it's just because I'm a the little poor thing. Like the scene, yeah, the poor thing. Oh, maybe there's mm -hmm. maybe that's where the title's supposed to come in there. But um, the scene where she's in, it's like in the towards the beginning, she's with Willem Dafoe in like the lab looking at cadavers, and she takes the knife and just starts like. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, because oh, she's geez. like two, you know, like or like the mind of a two-year-old. Exactly. Um, I was like, please stop this. Oh, I can't watch it, bro. Oh, that was painful to like, get through. <laughs> it's just like playing with. <laughs> but, the... uh, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, who was the MVP? You can do an actor or the crew member or crew member. An actor or a um, MVP. Yeah, you can be like director, cinematographer. It can be. Ooh, you know, I got to give it to like so many people there. You know, I thought everyone's acting chops were excellent. Um, Especially Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. I thought that like whoever designed the sets, the cinematographer, the cinematography was excellent just because I love when cinematography really like ties to like a, a store, a narrative structure um, and like mm. is part of that story. Um, because I do think act three kind of like pulls back a little bit on like the blown out colors and like kind of really mutes it out. And that's kind of like her already kind of experiencing the world from like, uh, cause you know, act two is like probably more of like, oh, I'm experiencing it kind of for the first time and everything is just so beautiful. And then after she goes to Alexandria and understands like the cruelty that can't happen in the world, the colors kind of pull back a little bit. It becomes a little bit more muted and, um, and they're like thrown in Paris, no money at all. Um, you know, kind of has to like survive, learns a little bit more about the world and kind of where, you know, she is in it and like her place in that society. Um, and kind of almost even wanting to like change it. So like it kind of morphs into the world that we kind of know. And like, cause like when we see like Lisbon and like when they're on the boat or in Alexandria, those sets are like dreamlike, but Paris is not like that at all. It seems like the Paris, like it seems like a city you could walk into today. Whereas the other sets or the other cities in the settings were like nothing you could ever like imagine. It just seems surreal. So, um, and like the cinematography just played a big role in kind of conveying that. So you're giving it to cinematography. I'm going to give it to cinematography. Yeah. What about you? Okay. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna give this to an actor. I gotta give it to Ruffalo, dude. I this That's is hilarious. Not a part I would inherently think would be for him, but mm-hmm. th- he was in his bag. Like I truly believe that he was just this because he's like a genuinely nice guy, but like seemed like a tool bag who just like did not care about anything. Just like oh yeah, you know I'm the guy. Like I just was very impressed by his performance. It's so funny because he did not think he was right for the role. Um, like Yorgos Lanthimos, I think, like pegged him for the role of uh, Duncan Wedderburn, and he was like, "No, nah, you know, that can't be the case." Like, and then he and he wasn't really sure if he should do this. Um, and like, uh, he eventually did it. And he just thought, even if I give the worst performance of my life, like, screw it, like I'll I'll do this movie. Um, and like, you know, I, I think he should, you know, pat himself on the back. He also thought for the entire time that Oscar Isaac was going to come in and replace him. And William Defoe one time <laughs> arranged that Oscar Isaac would come up, came onto the set and <laughs> it's like, he's here to That's replace you. So <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, uh, it's crazy. They actually kind of are a little, a little interchangeable in terms of just like their build and everything. That's yeah. Crazy. So, um, uh, I, but yeah, I do. I think Mark Ruffalo really did a fantastic job he was hilarious i just thought his character was so funny but an an absolute tool like an absolute (laughs) sleaze bag but um he he was he had such great comedic timing throughout the uh... yeah oh jeez, yeah i'm just i gotta i want to watch it again almost not to say just for him because obviously like like the cinematography was fantastic but he was he was compelling he was compelling Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think was the intended message of the movie? Intended message. Uh, well, you got to like talk about the themes then, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah that's good. <clears throat> so there's like a couple, I mean, talk about liberation and like equality, I think are big themes. Um, so I, obviously this movie um, does have a lot of sex scenes. <laughs> a lot yes, of, yes. Uh, a lot of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do think that's like kind of like a larger theme is like this uh, like sexual liberation because I do want to point out that like Mark Ruffalo's character like Duncan Wedderburn is like a notoriously like he's a sleaze bag we really know that but like one of the first kind of defining characteristics that we learned of his character is that he sleeps around a lot 
And when Emma Stone's character starts doing that, he's not happy with it. And like, so it kind of like definitely fights against like this, like abs- like this patriarchal kind of definition of like what women should be in society. And I think Emma Stone's character of like kind of going out and, you know, um, not, I mean, almost having the benefit of not, not understanding of like what society kind of, where society places like women in or puts women in and like she gets the benefit of like just kind of going out and experiencing it from like kind of like a youthful mind like an almost naive mind and um learning how it works discovering what she enjoys and i guess one of those is clearly sex (laughs) um (laughs) and and like she doesn't really understand why Duncan gets like so upset by it, and I think that is kind of like a liberating um, perspective to kind of have because it doesn't. She doesn't let it really stop her at all, right? Like you know, she continues, and you know when they're like in France, she's just like, well, oh, I get to get paid to do something I enjoy. <laughs> like that's great. Why wouldn't I do that? And uh, then when she like tells Duncan, he gets mad at her. Like it's just kind of uh, hypocritical. And um, yep. and that's why I think it's a really excellent detail that like she uh, kind of becomes like a socialist with a that uh, another woman who works with her um, and they, they like they go off to like socialist meetings and they she has like that funny line where she's like we are the own we are our own means of production <laughs> she like walks off to uh, their like socialist meeting and like because I think that's kind of like to signal that you know they're going against like what kind of like society puts them into and like um kind of fighting against like the norms of society because they want it to change absolutely and i love love, um duncan makes a point of saying that like being a prostitute is the lowest possible thing you can do like Mm -hmm. like, that is yeah there's no coming back from that and that was kind of juxtaposed with when she returns to i guess it was london um, to see Godwin, but also Max, the person who she's engaged to, she like pretty like un- unabashedly says, "Yeah, you know, I was worked in a brothel," and he was like, "Oh, okay." Like, he's like, "Even she's like, I'll get tested," and he's like, "Okay, cool, 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 cool." But like, he was like kind of cool. He's like, "You know, yeah. it's your life. Do what you want to do." So like, I respect that. I respected like, that from Max McCandles. Yeah, Max McConnell. So I think, like you said, it's a lot about like liberation, and it's also kind of about knowing like your worth too. Like, yeah, this man Duncan was not like he should not. He was not on par with Bella. And eventually, I mean, it took her obviously like coming into her own with just her her own emotional and like intellectual maturity. But then it was just like even when he tried to put her below himself, she was like, "No, dude, like that's that's not right." And so she like really stood firm to what she believed in, and I think that's that's it's huge too. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Did you feel like there were any like plot holes or anything you didn't understand? Uh, no, I don't think there was anything that really stood out to me that I like didn't understand that I can think of off the top of my head or like a plot hole. I thought the plot was pretty self-contained. Like, um, it was not necessarily. It was like a story about character development rather than like uh like some like epic narrative that you might like start poking holes in. But um, yeah. So nothing there. Did anything? What about you? Did anything like? No, it all it all pretty much held up. I was like, this man's backstory, Godwin's, because they just as the movie goes on, they're talking about all the things that he was subjected to as a child. I was like, how is he still alive? Right yeah. Now? <laughs> like it was just kind of like one of those dark humor moments. So I did, I did like that. <laughs> Rami Youssef's like lines every time like Godwin revealed a little bit more of the truth about Bella. He was like. Jesus. <laughs> exactly. It's like you can't. It's weird because you kind of can't help but look at Godwin like a like he's a monster. Like yeah. who puts a baby's brain in this deceased mother's like head? I know. Like what an utter like now. that is like yeah. You just gotta like like step back for a second and be like wait a minute what? <laughs> Even Max McCandles is like Rami Yusuf's character was like the fuck like what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Oh, and then I forgot, like, all the random animals they have just running around, like, the, the dog's body. Yeah, I know. Like, truly Frankenstein. Like. Yeah. He was just out here, like, 
messing with the fabric of like reality and like nature. It was like, kind of crazy, but yeah. Uh, but, and I think Max and I think Rami Yusuf or Max McCandles like aren't like clearly deeply respected him despite him being like this weirdo. Cause like at one point like, he could have walked away at any point the moment he learned more about this, okay. but he was like all for it. And he was like one of the only students of, uh, Godwin, um, who, you know, was like, thought he was a genius, like, you know, fascinated by his work. Absolutely. And the crazy thing is they did like the, they repeated the procedure on another girl who did not like pick up as quickly as Emma Stone did. Mm. And he was like, like a part of that, just like helping her along. It was just yeah, like, no, it's like, they did it again. Where do they get this brain? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't even ask that question. Oh, uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was different. That was different. Uh, which character did you relate most to? Huh, relate most to I don't know if there's like a character I necessarily like super related to maybe Max McCandles. Um Okay, why is that? I don't know. He just seemed like uh the most like he seemed like he genuinely genuinely wanted to like help Bella, uh, you know, at, at the beginning of the movie and then I don't know if I would have like gone the route that he like did where he ended up wanting to marry Bella, but you know, like he he seemed like a genuinely like kind of like a good person who um had a good heart i don't know but there's not really a character i don't think i can like specifically relate to though what about you okay i was gonna say max too just because it's like he entrusted her to kind of like he because he went to godwin when originally Bella like approached him was like i'm leaving he's like you're gonna just let her leave and god at that point in time Godwin was like yeah like i i got to and i uh i don't know sometimes just in life i, I felt like max like you're just like gosh like i don't like unfinished business and it's like that could have gone any way and she could have never returned and he would have just been like, well, I had to like kind of let her go, but um, he just held on and it ultimately worked out for him in the end, which was good. But mm -hmm. I have definitely been that guy. So I uh, can totally respect and appreciate his position there. And then I guess the, the final question I have for you there, bud, is if you could recommend this movie to one person, who would it be and why? Ooh. And it can be well, someone you don't know, like personally. I don't know. I I guess I would. I don't know. I already said like I, it was a movie I recommend to watch or for people to watch. Like when we were kind of giving a quick little review. Um, if I had to give like one person, like there's definitely people that like I guess I wouldn't recommend it to a number. Of, like there's people where I just know they wouldn't like a movie like this. Um. You know, like for sure, definitely some, you know, friends, you know, but they're also like not movie people, I guess, or, you know, people who don't necessarily like watch films like this. Um, yeah. uh, but I don't know. I, I, I probably would definitely recommend it to like, uh, I don't know, like my buddy Jack, uh, you know, I, you know, he, okay. uh, he would definitely like it because I, I definitely think he would be somebody who would see this without my recommendation anyway. So I definitely and uh, so, yeah, I'd probably give it to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Probably recommend I have a friend named Zach. He was like kind of into some like quirky things like this. So I'd say him or just honestly, like I was thinking about just like a kid who's maybe like newly graduated from like high school or college. Just kind of like you're in that similar phase in life that Bella was. And I feel like they're still young enough to not, like, go with the quirkiness of this movie. Mm. But um, at the same time, just kind of appreciate it. And if it just, like, made, like when I left the theater, I was just thinking about kind of what it was like to be in that position, to be in the position I'm in now. Like, what have I learned? Like, what opportunities do I have? Kind of like what Bella was, where she was at the end of the movie when, you know, she had kind of decided she wants to pursue medicine. I was just kind of figuring that all out. So I think that's like a unique perspective to have especially when you still have you know god willing time on your side so i think maybe for someone slightly younger who's yeah like marking, a you know on the world for the first time. like a freshman in college like film class like it's a good like exactly. film study you know um but also or just like a freshman in college or somebody who's about to go off to college because it uh it could be you know influential on like you know on those people probably the most or like that might be the had the, it might have the most impression on them. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. Oh, thank, thank you. Anything? Anything else you got there, bud? Um, 
No, I don't think so. Um, I really like this movie. Uh, so might be my favorite out of, yeah, I think I said that it might be my favorite out of Yorgos Lanthimos' film. So, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. What about you, Palmer? Any last words? I know I'm thinking it's there. There's I just I mean I I loved the originality of it. I know it was a book, but like just because I had no idea what I was about to like step into. I loved just the fact that it felt like it was like a real team effort in terms of just like in front of the camera and behind the camera and bringing this all together because this could have just been some like zany mess, but it actually was very coherent. So um, I just I appreciated it for that. I have seen Oppenheimer, so I'm not sure this will win Best Picture. We'll have wow, to, uh, that high praise for Oppenheimer, huh? I'm not saying it's that I liked Oppenheimer that much. I just know what this Academy likes, so we'll see. Uh, but, uh, the I'm Academy also likes possible. weird movies like like this. So um, true, 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 true. But yeah, you're right. They do kind of like the biopics as well. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. The Oscars are coming up soon, right? It's in like March. We'll have to do a uh, March 10th. Yeah, we're going to have to do like a Yeah, yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about what we want to do next. (laughs) Oh, I think man, actually, you want to do we're going to think we're going to do Oscar predictions and reactions to the um, nominations. Oh, yeah, we could do that. That sounds good. Um, Well, with that, I guess we can close out here. Um, this has been the Watching Out Podcast. We're your hosts, Charlie Bunn. Joined with me, as always, is the wonderful Jordan Palmer. Our podcast is now on Wednesdays. Yes, yes, we have moved it from Monday to Wednesday, so you can catch our new episode every Wednesday evenings or Wednesdays, one of the two. Um, be sure to follow us on social media. I know this is our first episode this year so it's a great place to know when episodes are posted we typically post something uh, to let you know um palmer why don't you let them know where they could find us on the, the social medias you can find us on instagram at what you got podcast what you spell w-h-a-t-c-h-a or on twitter slash x at what you got cast what you spelled the same way and with that, next week we'll be talking about, as we just mentioned, the Oscar predictions and reactions to those nominations. Those are coming up quickly. Uh, and then leading into the Oscars, we'll probably try to cover off on some of the Best Picture nominees if we haven't covered them already. And until next week, catch you all later. <laughs>